tradition. And leaders manifest with upaya, or skillful means, according to what is needed. So this may not look conventional, this may not look tidy, and it's said that Harriet Tubman, the former slave who escorted over 300 slaves to freedom during the days of the Underground Railroad and never lost one, she bragged to Frederick Douglass, even carried a gun, and she used to threaten the fugitive slaves if they became too tired or discouraged and said, oh, I think I'm just going to go back. And she would threaten them with this gun and say, you'll be free or die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a leader. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, I, I am not advocating any gun-toting, threatening, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, however, you, we can see that that was efficacious in that situation. You know, she she didn't she never lost even one. She made nineteen trips back to the south and uh, freed some of her own relatives, uh, people with babies. Sometimes she would take a drug, and if the babies cried, she would she would give the drug to the baby so they would they would sleep heavily. She she paused at nothing. And she said, you will be free or die. When we look into that statement, uh, actually, it is a form of encouragement. Because we're all going to die anyway. So we might as well be free. Right? <laughs> we could say, not you will be free or die, as you will die, and hopefully you will also be free. Okay? <laughs> so that is a dharmic concept of leadership. Uh, which we'll find in many other traditions as well, and that is the leader who who uh, inspires confidence in others. And when there is no confidence, when encouragement in a in a, even a very strong way does not suffice, uh, really pauses at nothing in order to to sort of deliver the product, to bring in the deliverable, as they say these these days, to, to, um, to really, really um, make that final step with people into liberation, into freedom, into a life in which there is more choice, there is more option, there is more justice, there is more possibility. Still not perfect? Yes. More, more options? Yes. So we can look forward to that in our own lives to ask ourselves, how can we lead ourselves and others into seeing and taking options creatively, constructively, that perhaps we did not see before. The leader has that quality, to see those options. One way of describing mindfulness is the ability to make a choice. There's a trigger, something that usually really pisses me off, right? That difficult person or whatever it is. So instead of just immediately getting angry with mindfulness, I get a little breather, a little spacer, and I have a choice. I can do the usual reaction and be very angry, or I might find another way to not deny my feelings, but to connect to that other person and maybe make something more productive out of the situation than the usual fight or shutting down or whatever it may be. 
So, a leader. People want to follow the leader. They are inspired by the leader. And they feel stronger and happier and calmer. They feel wiser around the leader. So the leader is able, uh, through their presence, uh, to just bring out all of these qualities, similar qualities, these through affinity from people around them. And I was thinking of the famous hugging guru, uh, who, some, have, you, have any of you gotten a hug from? Oh, how was it? <coughs> it was beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Uh, my nephew uh, uh, went with his school from the Ananda College of Universal Wisdom down to Los Angeles, and he got a really good hug from her. Mm. And he said that she just clasped him to her bosom for a long time mm. and whispered in his ear, My darling, my darling, mm. my darling. Mm. <laughs> wow. Um, which was okay for him, and he's grown up with a lot of love. So, uh, it didn't change his life or anything, but he, he said it was great. So the leader awakens, generates awakened presence in everyone that they contact. And this doesn't mean, you know, it's like there's some awakened leader and they come in and, you know, contact people and then then everybody becomes awakened. It can just be a little bit. It can just be a little bit, and that's okay. As my son once said when he, I picked him up from school when he was in third grade, and I said, how was your day? And he said, oh, he said, I had a terrible headache. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, but I went out under the tree at recess in the yard, and I meditated. <laughs> uh, I said, did it help? And he said, yes, it helped a little. And if it helped a little, it could help a lot. Wow. <laughs> hmm? So we want to take that attitude. Well, maybe we just helped a little. We just generate a little bit of awakened uh, presence. And if it helped a little, could help a lot. The, the awakened leader obviously understands potentiality, the potential for expansion of awakening. People feel safe around the leader. They don't fear that this leader is going to suddenly, without warning, verbally attack them or sabotage them in some way. So uh, even if the leader has something that's not pleasant or welcome to say, such as it's a boss and have to say, you know, I'm really sorry, we're downsizing, and you're going to be laid off from your job. Uh, so the leader is not always uh, giving pleasant news, uh, but the leader is, is uses wise speech, speech that is kind, that is well-timed, that is appropriate to the situation, that is, that is honest. So we know even if we don't like what this person is telling us, we can trust it. It is truthful. They're not hiding something from us. They actually have our best interests at heart in an appropriate way. That's a leader that I can trust. And this is important because also the quality of an awakened leader, I believe, or a dharmic leader, is the leader accepts that our first noble truth Life contains suffering and dissatisfaction. 
that leadership also involves suffering. The suffering of leadership, right? Uh, that sometimes the leader needs to do things which are not pleasant for others, which may cause a reaction of fear, of anger, of resentment, or things which will not be understood, or may, or may be in a position where they quite often must make a decision and they know that although this decision will be helpful and pleasing to some, it will be against the interests of others. That is real life and so the leader accepts that that is part of being a leader, that there is suffering involved in the sense of there will be receiving dissatisfaction and possible criticism from other people. And that's where our factor of equanimity comes in, sometimes blame, sometimes praise, sometimes you just get ignored. And still, we do our best, we, we do what we feel is the wisest, and we get feedback and, and try to correct our course as we go on from there. So the leader accepts personal suffering uh, that may result from what is needed to be done and does not complain. There is also the concept in uh, Zen Buddhism in particular, and this is the Hartford Street uh, Zen Center. So in, in Zen Buddhism, which is, as you know, is a very minor sect of Mahayana, the Great Way Buddhism, one of the three great divisions of, of Buddhism. There's usually the Mahayana, which contains much more than Zen. Uh, there's the Theravada, the path of the elders, in which uh, we have the great tradition of Vipassana, or insight meditation, uh, as is taught at Spirit Rock, actually at East Bay Meditation Center, in the Goenka tradition, from the southern Buddhist countries, so Mahayana is northern, Theravada is southern, and then the Vajrayana, which is uh, the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, which blended with the indigenous shamanism or bone tradition there. So Zen is part of the Mahayana, and one of the very favorite metaphors in Zen Buddhism is that of the mind as a mirror. It's sometimes called mirror mind. And if we apply this, and, and what that, what, there, there's a lot to that. However, I think one way we can basically think of that is that um, uh, our ability to, to simply mirror back, in other words, accurately perceive to the extent of our ability what is around us and what is before us. And here I am, a mirror, and you know, there's some object here, okay? And so being a human being, I might look at that and think, wow, I'm thirsty, that looks like it's a water bottle. I need a drink. So I'm expressing a desire that, that actually is, um, you know, is, uh, is separate, it's about me, it's actually not about this. So uh, there's what I'm perceiving through my human perception is there's a color, there's a shape, there is a hardness, there's a temperature, uh, 
And the more I can just accurately mirror that back, the more I'm in touch with the kind of reality. How we can apply this in our study of leadership is I think that we can say one manifestation of this mirror mind in leadership is what we call active listening. That's one of our most basic skills. It seems so simple, it's such a profound practice. And as most of you know, in active listening, what we do is we listen deeply. We listen really deeply, we try to drop our own agenda to the extent that is possible. We just focus, we listen for what is important to the speaker, not what, what is important to us. We're just going to set that down just a little bit and we're listening to what is important to the speaker. And then we try to, as accurately as we can, after the speaker has settled something, uh, say, so what I heard you say is, and then really try to accurately capture and summarize the main points of what the speaker has expressed. And say, did I hear you correctly? And a speaker might say, um, yeah, thanks. Or might say, no, you completely misunderstood me. And then you say, well, well please explain it to me again until you get it right. Or the speaker might say, yeah, that's all accurate, um, and it's not complete. I have a few more points. So we're, we're actually trying to become a human mirror for that person's experience just for that time in order to hear, to see, and to really touch someone else's experience firsthand and what is important for them. We've heard the term magic mirror. Active listening for a leader and for anyone is actually a practice that almost has magical qualities to it. Uh, because uh, even though it sounds mechanical, it can be extremely difficult. It requires attention. It requires the setting down and aside of our uh, egoic interests and our own stories. So if the person says is trying to say, well, you know, I got mugged. I'm really distraught. I got mugged uh, when I was on the way to the bakery to get a morning bun and a cup of coffee. And then, because of my own experience, I say, oh, wow, you know, a bake sale Betty's just opened in my neighborhood. And they, they, they have these incredible fried chicken sandwiches. I was really wanting to get one, but I couldn't get there yesterday, so I'm planning to go there tomorrow. So that would be a sort of obvious and gross example where I was not listening for what was important to the speaker. <laughs> I, was, I was just ripping off on what was important to me or what they said that sparked something that was about me, the most important person in the world. <laughs> uh, and so the leader is able to, even though people may be saying, oh, you are such a great leader and you're so important, you're the Dalai Lama, you're the president, you're the whatever, you're the king of the universe, uh, the wise and awakened leader is able to uh, set any of that aside and simply be there to be the mirror and really to listen Oh, I'm, I'm really hearing and seeing how upset you are. Yeah, being mugged is just 
frightening. I mean, what what did you what did you do? Were you able to get help to connect directly with that other person's uh, experience? And so um, there's a quality there that I think the leader needs to have developed in order to truly become that that mirror to manifest that mirror mind and that's a quality not only of non-distraction of concentration the samadhi or meditative absorption of truly being with someone it's also the quality I think of non-fear as we all probably know Fear is, or anxiety is one of the emotional responses we can have that can almost instantly, in a very primal way, produce a shutdown and a retreat into the self to protect the self, to guard the self. And I'm not saying we shouldn't protect ourselves, we should, but when it's not necessary, when we're just trying to open ourselves to someone who is just trying to talk about their experience in a way that we may remind us of things that are unpleasant or, or scary to us, then we need to be able to become clear and still enough inside that we manifest the quality of non-fear. So you could call it courage, we could call it bravery, but those to me have a very outward energy. It's like we're doing something, right? as a very active, I'm going to be courageous and storm this mountain. Uh, whereas when we say non-fear, we're talking in, in terms of like a negative, uh, that fear simply is not present. It's like a, a, a nice open space, fear is not present. Non-anger, anger is not present. Non-aggression, aggression is not present. Just powerful, simple presence. That's part of our practice. Sometimes we can touch into it just a little bit, uh, maybe a lot, uh, and, and those are really wonderful moments which show us our potential and our, our Buddha nature within. This is so important because uh, I'll give you an example that I witnessed in which um, uh, a workplace in which one of the uh, workers was present when there were several offices in this building and someone came in, was not seen by anyone else, and distributed a hate flyer with hate language. Mm -hmm. And we could fill in the blank with any um, uh, targeted and oppressed group. So, uh, and the flyer said, um, all the you can fill in the group with you know, ethnic or uh, sexual orientation, age, anything like that. All that should be killed. So obviously this was from someone who was mentally unstable. And, uh, and the worker, uh, who uh, when they were told this by their, their supervisor, uh, asked, for um, protection and said, um, could you call the police? And the supervisor, uh, this was uh, in Berkeley actually, uh, said, felt that to call the police was extremely uncool 
and politically incorrect and said, oh, I don't think I, don't think I know how to get in touch with the police. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this was, this was very scary for, for the worker. And they did eventually have a mediated session with the supervisor in which uh, a mediator was, was present and said to the supervisor, could you please practice active listening? and listen to uh, what your supervisee has to say about their experience. And the supervisee, the, uh, the worker said, employee said, you know, when I saw that flyer, I was terrified. And so the mediator turned to the supervisor and said, can you mirror that back? Which is basically, at that point, just repeating. It doesn't mean you agree. It doesn't mean that you don't have something to say or your own feelings. All it means is, I heard you say you were terrified. Or I heard you say being laid off makes you extremely angry. That's all. We don't add anything to it. We don't take anything away. A mirror doesn't make this into a flower vase with flowers coming out of it. And it doesn't make it half of a water bottle, right? It just dispassionately shows it all. So that's all we need to do. And in this case, for whatever reason, the supervisor really just was unable to say, I heard you say you were terrified. And repeated, well, I heard you say the flyer disturbed you, I heard you say this or that, and was actually unable for their own reasons just to even repeat um, that person's words. Mm -hmm. So we can see that one of the basic functions we have as practitioners of the Dharma is to really validate and respect someone else's experience because we, we know what support it gives them. That's what proves our interdependence, right, and our interconnection. Even someone we think, I don't, I can't even connect to their experience. If we practice that active listening and just mirror back, also I hear that what you really value is, we may totally disagree, but we are listening. We're showing we're there. And that, that can produce the most amazing effect in the other person when they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel respected. They can actually become more open to, to, to hear disagreement. I think a leader demonstrates mirror mind in that way. So um, finally, the job of the good leader, I believe, is to make themselves obsolete. So here I'll show my Zen roots and it's a leader of no leader, right? <laughs> uh, but it's not actually that. It's, it's, it is a leader who is working to make themselves obsolete, to, to encourage leadership development and everyone around them so that the power is shared, so that there's a more of a horizontal structure, so that there's buy-in and, uh, and there's, there's transparency. There's a Zen ideal of practicing in such a way that we leave no trace. We leave no trace behind and you can think about it like camping. You want to go into your campsite or, or backpack in and when you leave, you just don't want to leave any garbage or any traces or you know, you haven't like hacked 
picked up the picnic bench or something. You want to leave it the way you found it. You want to leave no trace, and that's a gift. That's a form of dana, the practice of generous giving to others and to the environment. So we leave no trace. And the last story I will uh, leave you with is a true story of a Zen teacher, Wendy Egyoku Nakao Sensei. Actually, she's now a, a Nakao Roshi, who is the abbess of Zen Center of Los Angeles. And many years ago, she was asked to come in to lead the center after they'd had a series of kind of heartbreaking scandals with leadership and a lot of turmoil in the Sangha. And so she uh, agreed, and she came back, and she instituted uh, the way of counsel. So sharing circles in which people form circles. There is a facilitator to hold the space. The facilitator does not lead. The facilitator does not teach. The facilitator just helps to create the space, and then everyone speaks without crosstalk. So many of you probably have uh, participated in something like that. And so Nikal Roshi said when she first started the circles at Zen Center of Los Angeles, which had been so hierarchical, what would happen is that people would venture to say something, and then they look at her. <laughs> like, is that okay? Or like, am I good? Am I bad? <laughs> and she just kept training them, no, 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 this is about speaking to one another. It's about speaking your truth and really being heard. And as she trained other people in the Sangha to facilitate, made herself obsolete, she said eventually she could come and join a circle, a sharing circle, and no one would give her any special attention. That, to me, is one of the great characteristics of an awakened leader. So these are... Uh, some of what I see as being characteristics of an awakened leader. And just to reiterate, the awakened leader encourages others, sometimes kicks them in the butt if necessary. The leader generates awakened presence in those around them. People feel safe around the leader. The leader accepts personal suffering as part of a job and demonstrates that mirror-like capacity of active listening. Finally, the good leader works to disappear from the role of leader and then may manifest in some other way uh, as is appropriate. So who is this awakened leader? And that's a question I'll leave you with. And thank you so much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have time for a couple of questions? Yes, I think so. And, and will you join us for tea and cookies? I will, indeed. Okay, good. Then we can continue the discussion. I have a question. Um, followers. Um, my, my experience of leaders in all kinds of contexts now um, is that um, there also is a role for followers to play in terms of understanding they are not at this point the leader they need to actually be in a different place for the good of the, the community uh, and that also seems to be uh, kind of a lost 
a lost thing. Maybe it's fear. But I'm wondering if there is anything you could offer about uh, role division within organizations. Like at this moment, leadership is, it's, it's yours at this piece. Take us through this next step and we will, we will be in service to that next step. I don't know if there's anything you might offer in that. Is that, is that at all clear? TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, any of you seen, I think it's How to Start a Movement? Yeah. Okay, Google it. <laughs> okay, I'll just give you a quick recap. It is because it's great. It's very short, and so it shows these, it says How to Start a Movement, and so uh, there are these, I need to stand up for this. So there, there's this field, and there are these people kind of at the edge of the field, right? And so the leader goes into the middle of the field and starts going, doing something like this. <laughs> so that could just be a crazy person. <laughs> Until another person comes and begins to do this, right? So then there's a follower, mm -hmm. and then some more people come, and when you have like five, then that's a movement. <laughs> so, the, so the point of the TED Talk is, who is the most important person to this wonderful movement? Uh, is it the leader? No, because the lone leader could just be some eccentric person out there doing their thing. <laughs> The most important person in the movement is the first person who joins. Mm. 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 Thank you. Mm. Mm. Did you say it was TED Talk? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm. So, how do you deal with, like in a situation when I was a, a manager at the Humane Society and had it managed the volunteer department? So I felt. I felt very comfortable in, in the role as a leader with working with the staff and working with the volunteers. But again, there was a hierarchy in there about the rules coming down from the top. And there really wasn't any room in there that where people were happy to hear your opinion if, it, if, you, dis, if you didn't agree with what the opinion was. And I found that challenge to be very difficult, to know what to do with that. You know, how, and then what, how do you take that Especially if you're trying to impose something, you know, going down that you absolutely do not agree with and feel is harmful, and that that's your role. So I had a difficult time, and a fair is very important to me. So I would get also stuck, kind of stuck in the fairness of it. So I didn't do very well going up. I did really well <laughs> going this way, but you know, not going up when there was no didn't feel like there was any maneuver room. Mm -hmm. So how do you what what could I have you know what do you what, what can you bring to that? You know, how do I, how do you maneuver within that as a Buddhist or just a person? So I am completely uh, believing you. Mm -hmm. And uh, since I don't know the situation and we don't have time, and I wouldn't do it anyway, actually. Yeah. I wouldn't challenge you uh, on, well, were there ways to creatively maneuver? I'm just going to assume you are a smart person, you're a good person, and you know what you're talking about. So that the situation was exactly as you described it. Mm -hmm. There was no wiggle room. There was no room for disagreement. Mm -hmm. So we're starting from that assumption. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, what I would say is that, first of all, it's a very tough situation. Mm -hmm. And second of all, then 
uh, you have to weigh your options, I think. And if you do want to go up in, in that system, then you are clear about your reasons for doing so. There's got to be something good in it, right? Mm -hmm. And then you accept the suffering of leadership until you, you are in such a position that you can begin to change the system and in the meantime you accept what is imperfect and even what is harmful about the system in order to reap and spread the benefits of what you know is to be good. And that is a very hard thing to do and it has to do with our first noble truth. Thank you. Thank you. We usually close with the three refuges. I just ask you also um, to think about us in terms of, we have a Donna Bowl in the back and it helps us pay the rent here. So if you are inclined to kick in a few bucks, that would help. And we have tea and cookies upstairs. The website has information about our book club. That's on Thursday if you want to join. You don't need to have read the book. You can just show up. I forgot to mention those things earlier. Yeah, you can bring cookies too. <laughs> <laughs> and the garden will be open. That's okay. Thank you. You join me in three refuges, please. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sada. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sada. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.